welcome, welcome to the Hoagie Hangover Podcast. My name is Andrew Alex. I am joined today by Jess Mike McDaniel. Mike, how are you? Good. Uh, this is my bad, so I want to personally apologize to Ricky LeBlue. Let's start there. So Ricky and I were supposed to record, uh, we were all, all actually supposed to record yesterday at six o'clock. I got tied up with work. So then at 9.30 last night, Andrew couldn't go, but Ricky and I could. Then I fell asleep at 8.30 because I worked like a 14-hour day yesterday. So I had like three or four text messages when I woke up this morning from Ricky because I fell asleep at 8.30 last night. And then I was consequently late to, to this, uh, this recording tonight by like 20 minutes. So I'm on a roll here. A little over 20 minutes, but that's okay because, uh, again, if you were on time, I would have been the one who was late because I drove home from work just to realize that I left my laptop. At work. Yeah. The good news, of course, is that A, Mike was late, and B, I live like five minutes from the radio station. So it is what it is. Do you know what's even closer than the radio station, Mike? Main Street Pharmacy. Main Street Pharmacy. It's like two blocks away. Main Street Pharmacy in downtown Blacksburg. It is the pharmacy you want to go to if you want a healthcare provider that truly cares about you. Be a neighbor, not a number, and look no further than Main Street Pharmacy. Dr. Jeremy Counts. And his wonderful staff will take care of everything you need. And I got to give a quick shout out to Jeremy as we transition into our conversation about basketball. Because, you know, last year didn't necessarily have access to Virginia Tech home games. Very limited media, no fans. I want to go to as many games as I can this year. And we only have one press pass for me and Paul. Paul's going to take precedence there sometimes. And every time I need an extra ticket, my boy Jeremy hits me up. So, Jeremy, I really appreciate that. So I can give the full-on in-person insight that our podcast listeners and my radio listeners demand. So, my guy, let's get things started with flashing back, right? Last time we talked, Virginia Tech had just shot the lights out against Florida State. And I pose the question to you and Ricky, is this a turning point? Is this a moment for Virginia Tech fans to be excited, right? And, and I think that we all kind of said, we're not necessarily buying, but if you're selling at any point from here on out, that means it's over. And it ain't over yet. I had said Virginia Tech needs to win their next four games. Those games being Georgia Tech, two in a row against Pitt and then a home matchup with Syracuse on the Saturday before the Super Bowl. Yep. Three of those games have passed and Virginia tech in very different fashions across all three matchups come away with victories. So before we look forward, I'll just ask you, what have we learned in the Hokies three victories? So I'm trying to figure out if, and, and, I th and I think I've come to a conclusion. I've been trying to figure out if Virginia Tech is playing better or simply just shooting better, right? Now, here's the thing. We, we knew coming into the year that this was going to be an offense that at its best was going to be able to score with or outscore most teams they played in the conference, right? We thought that coming into the year. For the first half of the season, for first, you know, 60% of the season, it was a struggle, right? Virginia Tech was playing through their bigs, Justin Mutz um, and Kevin Aluma, more than they were playing through their guards and their wings. You know, Hunter Couture 
you know, had a few really nice games, but by and large, Virginia Tech's, you know, offense when they needed a bucket was flowing through two guys. You know, one of them is one of the most skilled big men in the conference. The other one is Justin Mutz, who outside of Aluma is a guy who's, you know, tough enough to, to go to the hoop and, and, you know, try to make something happen. That offense wasn't working consistently enough down the stretch of games. That's why Virginia Tech was having trouble closing a lot of games out. They were losing a lot of close games. What we've seen more recently is a shift in the offensive dynamic, in my opinion, right? We've seen more reliance on the guards and the wings to score for Virginia Tech, right? The offense outside of Aluma and Mutz was basically run the shot clock all the way down and then give it to Naheem Aline, have him take like three panic dribbles and take a really contested mid-range jumper and miss, right? It was a big reason why Naheem Aline was shooting like 26% from the floor at one point um, in January because he was taking a lot of contested mid-range jump shots at the end of the shot clock. Naheem Aline now, more recently, has been shooting the ball better because he's taking open looks. He wasn't, he was missing some open looks early in the year, but he was taking a lot of contested jump shots. I was sinking his percentage, right? The shot selection wasn't there. And some of it was out necessity, and some of it was just him early in the shot clock taking bad shots. I think the guards and the wings for Virginia Tech are just simply playing a lot better, Andrew. Like, Storm Murphy has been real good lately, right? Naheem Aline has played better lately. Hunter Couture obviously had the huge game against Florida State, but it's interesting because Hunter Couture has turned into the guy who we, we know he can defend, right? And that's been his, that's been his forte over the last you know, few games. The Georgia Tech game and the two Pittsburgh games, he scored a little bit, but he's been mostly just defending his ass off on that end of the floor, and other guys have been picking up the load offensively. You know, Kevin Aluma just had 15 points against Pittsburgh in the second matchup. In the first matchup, it was a little bit everybody, right? Storm Murphy had a huge game. You know, Sean Padula was scoring. Nehemaline was scoring. It was a little bit everybody. And that's the thing. Virginia Tech's hard to defend right now because I think the offense, the offensive identity of this team is shifting. There's more reliance on the guards and the wings. And then, you know, the, the bench too. You know, everybody wants to talk about how well Sean Padula is playing, how well Darius Maddox is playing. And they've been great. And we can talk about them, Andrew. But David and Gusan, the last three games, last four or five games actually, has been great off the bench, defensively, offensively. And he's kind of like the forgotten guy because the fan base clamors for Darius Maddox and Sean Padula, rightfully so. But David Gasson has been a huge part of it as well. He's played really well off the bench. He's been able to spell the minutes of some of the bigs. He's added athleticism on the wing. Uh, he's been real solid for Virginia Tech off the bench. So Hokies are playing good offensive basketball right now. And defensively, I, I, I think, and I've talked about this before, I, I think in ways like their defense has, their offense has affected their defense in some of these games where, you know, they, they're not scoring particularly well. And, you know, down on the other end, they're moping a little bit and, you know, teams are getting some easy baskets. They've stopped that, right? I, I think defensively they're playing a lot better because they're having more confidence on the offensive end, and it's showing. I mean, they, they've won four straight here. Huge stretch coming up here with Syracuse, UVA, and, and North Carolina, but all three are at home. And, you know, I, I think if Virginia Tech takes takes two out the next three, given the stretch they have remaining, I, I think we can start talking about, okay, what can this team do to get themselves back on the bubble? Or are they already back on the bubble? You know, that, that's a conversation I think that's worth worth having, especially if Virginia Tech gets a win this weekend, this Saturday against Syracuse, to get back to 500 in the ACC. And again, like my logic, when I laid out my case last time we talked was, look, one win is certainly encouraging, and Florida State looked like a good basketball team at that time. I, I, I do believe they are a 
basketball team that can hang with anyone in the ACC. But these three games, the two matches, the two matchups with Pittsburgh and the game against Georgia Tech were games that Virginia Tech couldn't afford to lose. When you have such a narrow margin, when you're trying to build a resume, you can't lose to a team that, quite frankly, is nowhere near the conversation for the NCAA tournament. I mean, frankly, bad basketball teams. Because, and if Virginia Tech doesn't make the tournament, despite what we've seen, there's two scenarios, right? Number one is that after January 15th, they played good basketball, but not good enough because they were plagued by losses early in the season to the likes of NC State, who currently sits in last place in the ACC, and they lost that game at home to the likes of Boston College, who, though they're perhaps more formidable than an ACC play overall, you know, it's not an environment. It was on the road. It's noon. It's Chestnut Hill. The only thing you have to worry about with that game That's is got more getting, talent. Yeah, it, it, you're, just, you're a more talented team, not like a vicious environment, a third full on a Saturday afternoon. And of course, you know, the turnovers plague you at the end of the game against UVA. I'm not even really willing to talk about that buzzer beater shot at the end of the Miami game, right? Because Miami is a good basketball team. Tech hung with them the entire time. Miami had a shot to win and they hit it. I'm not going to complain about that, but those early losses along with a loss to Dayton where tech fell flat in the first half and a loss to Xavier where, and I know Xavier's a ranked basketball team right now. They might not be next week because they lost to Seton Hall last night, but the Xavier that's going to make the tournament isn't the Xavier that beat tech. Right. Three of their, or two of their top three, three of their top four scorers were out. That yeah, evening I, think was, tech, I think it was three out of four. Yeah, and Tech blew it down the stretch. Yep. But what I see is if you beat Syracuse at home on Saturday, which if you believe you are a tournament team, you should. Four and two in those final six games, a slightly more challenging slate. You still get Georgia Tech again. As long as one of those two losses isn't to Georgia Tech, you had the opportunity to go into the ACC tournament saying, well, if we get a win here, we know that when ESPN does their coverage on Selection Sunday, we'll be at least one of those names in consideration. They'll be in and the mix. When you, yeah, when you say, are they on the bubble right now? Maybe they're just off the bubble. Maybe they're not, you know, maybe, maybe they're the ninth team out. But another upside that Virginia Tech has is a lot of their opponents, these teams that they're looking to beat down these final six games, are teams who are kind of in that bubble mix too. So you have the opportunity to, at the same time, raise your own stock while knocking a team like, say Miami, say North Carolina, down a peg. So it, it's going to be interesting, but I'll, I'll ask you this. To what degree is the increase that we've seen in, in Virginia Tech's efficiency offensively credit to the fact that maybe Virginia Tech has turned a corner or were those just three bad teams that they played in a row? Both. I mean, both. But the, the thing I will say is, like, Tech didn't do this against NC State the first time, right? Even the second time, right? Tech won that second game against NC State. Didn't play particularly well, right? Um, Tech didn't do this against Boston College on the road, you know? Tech didn't do this against UVA in the second half. 
uh, in the in the first matchup. So it's both, right? It's it's caliber of opponent. Obviously, it's nice to see Pittsburgh twice, right? Pittsburgh. <laughs> hey, well, in fairness, Pittsburgh turned around just last night, that being Wednesday the ninth, and beat Florida State on the road. I uh, yeah, uh, it, the ACC is weird this year, but <laughs> yes, it is. it's nice to see. It's nice to see Pittsburgh, right? Nice to see Pittsburgh. Um, I think we all thought Jeff Cable's team would be a little bit further along, right, in this stage of his tenure. Uh, but yeah, it's both, right? Like Virginia Tech's schedule has been favorable. But the Hokies are also playing better. They're also playing better. Um, and I think the real discussion is, is less about the opponents they're playing and more about what's Virginia Tech done differently, right? What, what have they done differently to, to change their own fortune? Because I think we've been seeing better play since the Boston College game. It hasn't always resulted in wins. Tech lost by, what, 10 to North Carolina, got blown out of the arena in the second half, really. Um, if we're calling it what it is, Virginia Tech got a couple late baskets to make it a 10 point game. They lost on the, on the buzzer beater half court heave against Miami, which, you know, didn't play great the last four minutes. Right. But I thought all in all, um, you know, over the course of that game played. All right. So Virginia Tech's been playing better, even in the losses, but now they're starting to rattle off wins, right? It's in college basketball and all sports, but in college basketball, especially it's what have you done for me lately? Right. And, it's interesting because we had been talking about the struggles of this team, not a tournament team, not this, not that. I still don't know if they're a tournament team, right? But they're looking more like a tournament team now than they were two weeks ago. Um, they're, they're winning these games. You know, it's no longer the, just the metrics that like Virginia Tech, you know, all year we've been talking about, oh, they have the computers, the advanced stats, you know, all these elements that the committee looks at when they're evaluating a college basketball team on Selection Sunday, all those metrics have liked Virginia Tech. But the one thing that, we had brought up on the podcast when Virginia tech wasn't winning a lot of basketball games is eventually you need to win, right? Because the, the metrics are only going to like you for so long, because if you eventually just never win, the metrics aren't going to like you anymore. Well, now Virginia tech starting to win. The metrics still like them. I think Virginia tech can play their way onto the bubble. I really do think that. And to your point, Andrew, I don't know if they're on the bubble right now, but I think a win against Syracuse, a win against Virginia, you're back over 500 in the ACC. You'd be adding a quadrant one win, right, against North Carolina. Um, you'd be getting, a, a, I believe, a quadrant two or a quadrant three win against UVA, a team that you should have beaten the first time. And all of a sudden, you're looking at a team that's, you know, above 500. They'd be eight and seven in the ACC. With the stretch that we have remaining on the schedule, winnable games, Andrew. You know, definitely, certainly winnable games. Every game remaining on the schedule is a winnable game if tech continues to play the way that they've played over the last, over the last five or six games, but it's not going to be easy that tech's got seven games remaining. I think they got to go at least, at least five and two to, to be in the mix going into the ACC tournament. But like, but show me, show me the five wins though. Right. You can't be losing yeah. to Georgia tech. Like you mentioned, you know, you, you gotta maybe pick off, pick off of Miami, which I think is very doable. Um, it is on the road, but it's doable. Uh, pick off in North Carolina at home, beat UVA and Syracuse or beat one of UVA and Syracuse and maybe beat North Carolina. Like you gotta, you gotta string a few good ones in there though, too. Right. You can't just go five and two and lose to lose Georgia tech and Clemson, for example. Yeah. I mean, what opens the window for me in, in terms of being able to talk about this team in, in an optimistic fashion, right. Is as, as you mentioned before, Mike, the metrics were good. 
we lost to this team by a hair. We lost to that team by a hair. But when we lay out in that situation before, before Virginia Tech had won these four games in a row, and we said, okay, well, they have a margin for two losses left on the docket. I said, you can't beat Boston College on the road. You can't hold a lead against NC State. What leads me to believe that you can go out and win six of eight, nine of 11, whatever the hell it originally was. Right. But regardless of the level of opponent, because none of these teams that have been beaten over the course of the four game win streak are all world by any means. But I think you can even throw a narrow loss to Miami in there in the mix as part of a pattern that is built that this team is playing better basketball. Yeah, for sure. And as we get down to these final, the games, the way that Virginia tech has played so far, not only being able to close out games like we saw, I mean, they never had to close out Pittsburgh the second time. The first time (laughs) that was dicey. I think that closer than needed to be, we will, we will chalk that up to a team that went into the locker room at halftime, ready to go out and get a beer after the game. Yeah. Georgia Tech, you won a game you were supposed to win, and they never relented. And Florida State, down that final 10-minute stretch, is when it seems like they turned it into turbo drive, right? And and that was perhaps the most encouraging early sign that we saw. But for a team that the metrics like, they like it for a reason. Virginia Tech is an efficient team on both sides of the floor. So five and two in this conference, I'm not going to say it's going to happen. But what I've seen from this team over the course of the last two and a half weeks definitely lends credence to the idea that it's possible because, I mean, I, I don't know, and you're the one who pays more attention to the conference at large, but you have a Syracuse team coming into town today that, that hasn't been very consistent either. Yeah, I mean, they, they haven't been consistent. Now, <clears throat> the thing, and I'm glad for Tech gets them at home. Right. I'm, I'm glad for Gene Tech at Syracuse. As, as Ricky would say, the Jiffy Pop the Dome Jiffy is not Pop a uh, fun place for anyone to visit. Yeah. So it's it's good to have Virginia Tech get that game at home. Now, the, the thing that gives me pause about Syracuse, right? And I I talked about this leading up to the, to the Pittsburgh games, too, a bit. You know, what was the concern about Pittsburgh? It wasn't really Pittsburgh themselves as a roster, right? It wasn't, oh you know, Pittsburgh's got this really good team that's going to cause Virginia Tech a bunch of these schematic issues. That wasn't the conversation going into the most recent stretch. The conversation was about, man, you got to play Pittsburgh twice in 48 hours, once on the road, once at home. That's a tough, that's a tough draw, right? Now, Virginia Tech almost blew that first one on the road in the second half, closed it out, but almost blew it. Uh, second game, never relented, right? And, and Ricky mentioned this too. He said, you know, the thing that he liked going into those games is that Virginia Tech got the second one, the tougher of the two games, in his opinion, at home. And that ended up uh, that ended up being being the correct take. You know, Virginia Tech just rolled Pittsburgh in that second matchup. The thing that concerns me about Syracuse is the team itself. Now, they do have some players, you know, both the Bayheim kids can shoot the absolute lights out the gym. You know, if they get a hot shooting day, that's going to be a problem. The, the thing that is more concerning is the scheme. Syracuse plays that matchup zone defense that Virginia Tech really only sees once a year. And it's when they play Syracuse. And it seems to always give Virginia Tech, it gives a lot of teams issues when they don't see them very often. It always seems to give Virginia Tech issues, especially on the road, but getting them at home is good. Virginia Tech, when we've seen them 
Dayton was a game where we saw this extensively. Memphis as well with the athleticism. They tried to trap Virginia Tech. You know, um, they ran the, the full court trap, the half court trap. Um, you're not going to see a lot of full court trap in the Syracuse game. What you're going to see is half court traps out of that zone. And Virginia Tech is going to need to take care of the basketball in this game, right? It's going to be points are going to be at a premium because Syracuse slows the game down. Virginia every Tech possession likes, matters. Every possession matters. And Virginia Tech plays a slower half court. They've been actually getting up and down the floor a little bit more recently, but they play that half court offense where we just find the best shot. Virginia Tech's been doing a really nice job of that lately, but Syracuse makes you find that shot defensively. And it's going to be a very slow game. Virginia Tech's going to play two of these really slow games in a row. They're going to play against Syracuse, then UVA. Very different, right? Um, you have to control the tempo in this basketball game. And Justin Mutz, I think, I think Justin, Justin Mutz, I, I understand he's had turnovers. Justin Mutz is one of the best passers on the team. I think what you need to do is you got to get Justin Mutz in that position where he's in the middle of that zone defense. Um, and you got to get him the ball and have him be the facilitator. Uh, and I think that would be something that would be successful for Virginia Tech. He has to cut down on the careless turnovers, right, where he's getting a little bit greedy. He's got to cut down on those. But he's been one of the team's best passers. I think you get him in the middle of the zone defense, and that's how you try to beat Syracuse, right? Have him kick it out, right? Have him get underneath Hulluma. Um, Syracuse's center, you know, one of their better players is out for the year. He had wrist surgery. So Virginia Tech's going to have a little bit more of an advantage underneath, and I think they would have had on paper going into this a couple weeks ago. So – this is going to be a tough game schematically. It's not an athlete, and it's not an athleticism thing. I think Virginia Tech's a better team. We have the better players, but the schematics of that defense is always something that gives me pause. So one thing that I have kind of noticed is somewhat of a pattern, and I don't think it's any kind of eureka revelation or anything like that. But when you say I don't know if Virginia Tech is playing better or shooting better. I think even more so than in past years, the circumstances surrounding the roster, surrounding the offensive scheme needs this team to shoot better. Why is that, right? In a situation where you had one or two guys cold or, or a team was locking Virginia Tech up defensively on the perimeter, you had not only Justin Mutz, but Tyrese Radford, who is arguably better, who you could rely on outside of Kevin Aluma on the inside to thrash in and get the bucket. Justin Mutz is a good college basketball player. He is. He cannot be the sole guy that you are relying on for that kind of bucket, especially when teams clamp down in the final three, four minutes of a basketball game, or even at any point in the game where it just so happens that your team is going cold. He's got the toughness. He's got the, not to cut you off, but he's got the, he's got the toughness of the uh, Chris Clark. He's got the toughness of Chris Clark and the toughness of Tyrese Radford but he doesn't really have the offensive game of a Chris Clark and a Tyrese Radford, right? Yeah. He's, yeah. And, and I don't mean to disparage him. He's, he's a decent offensive player, but he's in that mold, but he's not as good offensively. Yeah, I mean, obviously at this point, he's super valuable. But when right. you talk about Syracuse's zone, is that going to put a lot of pressure on Justin Mutz? Do you worry about the ability of guys like Hunter Couture, Storm Murphy, and Nahim Aleem to get open shots? And when they do, is it going to be a necessity to hit them? Yeah, I mean, you're going to have to – the thing that's impressed me about Virginia Tech over the last five or six games is that they've been passing up good shots for better shots, you know, good shots for great shots. Um, it's been a lot of good offensive basketball. Even when they've gone through a stretches where they haven't, they haven't been scoring, which <laughs> hasn't been too often, but think like second half against Pittsburgh. 
I wasn't as upset with Virginia Tech offensively in the second half against Pittsburgh. I was upset with them defensively. I thought offensively, Virginia Tech was still getting good shots. They just weren't falling, right? Defensively is where I was more upset with that second half letdown on the road at Pitt. Um, but I thought offensively, they were still finding the right shot. They just weren't making the shots. You know, sometimes you're going to go cold. It happens, right? But if, you're, if, you're, if there's good offense, right, you're passing up a semi-contested shot for a wide-open shot, that's good offense. You know, Mike Young will take that every, every time, you know, if his team goes cold, you know, you go cold, you go cold on offense. But if you're taking the open shot, that's what you need. You know, Virginia tech needs a good shooting game against, against Syracuse. They've needed a good shooting game in all these games because Virginia tech is not that great of a team defensively, right? They're just not, they're, they're okay on defense. Some of the advanced metrics would tell you that defensively they've struggled. They've been better over the last six, obviously, because they're shooting the ball better and they're defending better on the other end. But, all in all, like this isn't a great defense. It's, it's an okay defensive team. It's not a great defensive team. So they're going to have to shoot the ball well um, on Saturday for sure. And Syracuse is a team that makes you makes you take a lot of contested shots, but also forces you with their zone to, to make the open ones. They're banking on you missing some of those open looks. We're not a podcast that has been shy about – criticizing or complaining about the performance of individual players. It seems like over the course of the last two and a half weeks during this, you know, little four game win streak during a period of time where Virginia tech has won six out of their last nine, that some of these players have gotten right. So are you willing to, I, I guess, say that as we look forward, you're not worried about the current games that, guys like Storm Murphy and Naheem Aleen are bringing to the floor every night. And is there anyone that may have fallen into that category for you? They've been playing better. So I'm not concerned about them, but it's more about, it's more for this reason, Andrew, it's more because Sean Padula and Darius Max have been so good off the bench. So now we're in a situation, this is different from a few weeks ago. We're in a situation now where if Storm and, and Naheem Aleen aren't playing well, Mike Young can go to Padula. Mike Young can, can go to Darius Maddox. He can go to David Gasson and be like, all right, these guys are going to give me good minutes off the bench. That's something that Mike Young wasn't sure he was able to do, you know, a month ago, three weeks ago. So it's become less about the individual play, right? My concern level isn't that Storm Murphy is going to have a cold game. He could go cold. It's not that Naheem Aline could, could have a cold game. He could go cold, right? That's not the concern. Um, the, the concern is that, you know, four or five different guys go cold now, right? It's not only Aline and Storm, it's it's Padula and Maddox off the bench. It's Hunter Couture, you know, because Hunter Couture doesn't have a lot of cold shooting games, but he'll throw up a one for seven every once in a while. I think the first Pittsburgh game, he didn't shoot it particularly well. Whereas Georgia no, Tech. He, he's good. He's not JJ Redick. He's not Stephen Curry. <laughs> right. He's a good player. He's a, he's a very, Couture is a very good player. Um, he's a really important, I, I'd say Couture, Couture and Mutz are two of the most important players on this roster, but they don't give you the star power, right? Um, that Aluma gives you offensively from a from a consistency standpoint on the offensive side of the floor, um, or that you know a Storm Murphy can give you when he's right. But these are really consistent players, right? Really, really consistent players, and it's the concern is now that four or five guys go cold, and the other three guys are bringing off the bench go you know are three of the guys go cold too virginia tech is a deeper is a deeper roster 
now than they were three weeks ago. And these guys are just getting more minutes. That's it. They're getting more minutes. Well, it's almost sort of, I mean, it's not ironic yet, but it could be ironic, right? Because let's just say this dream scenario that we've pulled out where what we called impossible does happen. And Virginia Tech strings together, you know, five and two record down this final stretch and puts themselves in the NCAA tournament. Well, then you go into the NCAA tournament with a deeper roster and more faith in your bench guys than you had from what we were projecting this team out to be in January. And you wouldn't have gotten to that point without seeing the struggles of the starters early on. I, you know, yeah, we go to the NIT and it doesn't really matter, but it also sets up well for the future, which obviously is never a bad thing. It does. And Mike Young, I think, is going to learn from this season a bit, right? I mean, I, I think regardless of what happens down the stretch, he's going to learn that maybe he should have had some more trust in the younger guys, right? He's always a guy, and, and all coaches do this. They lean on their veterans. But, you know, Mike Young, I think, is going to learn to trust some, you know, give, give the young guys a little bit of a longer leash even if they're not perfect defensively, not perfect offensively, a little bit raw with their games, you know, he's going to give them a little bit of a longer leash in the future. I think, I think he'll learn from this. He's a good coach. You know, he's a, he's a good coach. That doesn't mean he's immune from criticism, right? Like I think he should have gone to some of these younger guys a little bit sooner, right? Maybe that could have put Virginia tech in a better position, but I think he's also put tech in a spot now where, you know, we can talk about the Hokies as a potential, you know, bubble team, as a potential tournament team. So, you know, we'll, we'll see. I, I think it's an eight-man rotation, right? So the, the team's only going to be so deep. But when you look at the minutes these guys are playing now, that's what I mean when I say that Tech's a deeper roster now than they were three weeks ago. These bench guys are getting a lot more run now when you look at the minutes distribution. They're playing a lot more than they did three weeks ago. I think it's good. I think it's good for, for tech to run those guys out there. I think in Mike Young's perfect world, he would have had like a nine man rotation where a Lynn kid or a John Ojiako could have stepped in and played, but you know, I don't think they're quite ready yet. You know, Ojiako, he's still a little bit raw when he plays, right? Still a little bit raw offensively. He looks a little bit lost defensively, a little bit raw offensively. I don't think he's quite there yet. Lynn kid, definitely not there yet. Um, but those are more developmental guys. I think in Mike Young's perfect world, he'd have nine guys that he'd run out there. But the eight guys that he's running out there right now are playing really good basketball. So I think Tech's a deeper team now because of that. Yeah, and just to clarify here, I, I think we speculated a little bit early on. As of this recording on the evening of February the 10th, for what you take Joe Lenardi's word to be worth, he has Virginia Tech as the 10th team out. So, again, a lot of basketball left to play. And if you've been listening to what we've been saying over the course of the last 30 or so minutes, you know, I'm not going to say it's likely, but it's certainly not impossible. And I would have put the percent chance of them being able to string something like this together at like under 10, you know, just a month ago. But, you know, Georgia Tech on February 1st, of 2020 wasn't an NCAA tournament team. They ended up being ACC champions. Sometimes in, in this conference, in its current state, it's just about getting hot at the right time. This is why I I was trying, and I, and I mentioned this when Tech wasn't playing particularly well. 
I try not to speak in absolutes in college basketball in January, right? Because <laughs> we see a run like the one that Georgia Tech went on last year. And we see how well Virginia Tech's played over the last five games to get themselves on the bubble of the bubble, right? So Tech's got to keep playing good ball here down the stretch. Um, the margin for error is extremely thin because Tech did not play its best basketball earlier in the year. The margin for error is extremely thin. It's still pretty unlikely, I would say, that Virginia Tech makes it to the NCAA tournament. But it's possible now, right? A few weeks ago, I would have said no. No way. Not with what we had seen. But with the, the way the team has played lately, there's not a game left on the schedule that's not winnable, right, with, with the way Tech has played. Could there be a dud or two in there? Sure, there, there could be. Can Virginia Tech win a clunker, right? Do you win a game like the one against NC State a few years ago? <laughs> Where it was like, you know, NC State scores 20-something, 20 22 points or whatever it was. Can you win a clunker if, if you don't have it offensively one night or you're not playing your best defense? That's the, that's the question. You know, Virginia Tech's got a Louisville, a Louisville team down the stretch that playing with an interim head coach, they got a Clemson team that's been very up and down. You got a Miami team that's been playing pretty well, but they've had their fair share of weird losses. You know, can Virginia Tech, you know, close this thing out strong down the stretch in the final seven games? We're, we're going to see. I mean, this is a pretty big stretch of three games coming up here. If Tech goes 0-3 in this upcoming stretch, you can probably kiss their tournament hopes goodbye for good. And uh, 0-3, they're done. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I have said, going into the NCAA tournament, if you want to have – going to the ACC tournament, excuse me. If you want to have some semblance of confidence that Virginia Tech is definitely in the mix as we project forward, I think if they lose two more down the stretch, they'll be squarely in there. Three – I mean, at that point, we have to start relying about what other teams are doing down this final road and – I, I, I think two losses is a safe spot to say they'll at least be in the mix and they can make a case for themselves in the ACC tournament. I think we'll probably record next after Monday's game against UVA. Yep. What's your, both games at home, record prediction over those two? You think they can sweep them? I, I do. Yeah. I mean, I do. I do think they can sweep them. I don't think it'll be easy. Um, if you had to give me like a, a confidence level and in, in what team I think Virginia Tech beats and what team I, I think they don't beat, I think they beat UVA and lose to Syracuse um, as far is as like confidence the, goes. The, the defensive scheme? Defensive scheme. I think UVA is a better team than, than Syracuse. Um, these, again, all these teams, you mentioned this earlier, Andrew, like Tech, Syracuse, Miami, UVA, Clemson, North Carolina even at some points this season, they're all kind of in the same boat. They're winning games like they should, like like they should on paper. They're losing games they shouldn't. <laughs> like they're all kind of in this in the same mix this year in the ACC. Um, yeah, ACC basketball to some degree has devolved into coastal chaos over the course of the last two years. It's nuts. Yeah, it's it's out of control. Um, you have teams so, like Pitt beating Florida State. Yeah, you got Pitt beating Florida State. You got NC State w- winning weird games. You got it's it's chaos. So. I th- so I, I'm going to say that Virginia Tech goes 2-0. and I think, that, I think they sweep. If there's a game they lose, though, I think it's Syracuse, not UVA. That's where I'm at. Syracuse scares me. Yeah. Scares me, too. Frankly, like, I, I think that the name brand of UVA scares me, and 
maybe the fact that they just beat Duke, but I mean, that, they beat Duke while going two for 13 from three or something crazy like that. I mean, I guess there's no such thing as lucking into an upset of that degree, but there have been few games this year where UVA has shown me that they are a basketball team that is representative of the Tony Bennett squads that we have come used to seeing. And a lot of other ones where you're like, wow, this is not the year in Charlottesville. But that being said, UVA finds himself in a similar position. I just mentioned Lenardi. He has UVA as the ninth team out with Tech as the 10th team out. So that's also a team that has a lot to fight for. Right. And that's going to be the theme going forward. Syracuse, not a great season, not necessarily out of it yet. Miami, one of the last four in right now. North Carolina, one of the last four in right now. Everyone needs to finish strong. So the pressure is going to be on uh, across the board. I don't know. I'll say one and one. But, again, I, I, I tend to take a negative view on these things. I hope I'm wrong. I hope I'm wrong. Yeah. I hope my, I need to convince my girlfriend to go on a Valentine's Day date to the Tech UVA game. So I think a win against Syracuse would definitely uh, – lend credence to that argument yes all right mike good conversation about basketball obviously on a, every two games the mood around this team is going to shift and quite frankly it's going to happen in very polarized directions because of the unfortunate situation that virginia tech finds them in where they really can't afford to lose more than two games but I guess we'll continue that conversation after the UVA game. But before we log off, I want to talk about the Super Bowl. You're an SI national breaking news reporter now, so I'm sure you're all cued in on all the information. Bengals, Rams, what do you think? Uh, Bengals. I'm going to go with the Bengals. I think the Rams are better. Going to go with the Bengals. Are you going to chalk that up to anything other than just like Joey Burrow, confidence magic? Yeah, pretty much. They've been winning – They've been winning games. I, I, I'm to the point now. I just think they're good, <laughs> which they had to. They had to do some convincing. They were just kind of okay all year. They had to. Uh, they had to convince me that they were Super Bowl good. I think they're Super Bowl good. I, I wor- I do worry about the offensive line though. I worry about the offensive line, but yeah. I mean, the, okay. So the story is the offensive line for the Bengals versus Aaron Donald. Obviously, right. That does have the potential to blow the entire and Von Miller and Von Miller and Von Miller, of, of yeah. course. I mean, we look back at last year when the Chiefs looked like a better team than the Buccaneers, but some people were whispering, I don't know, the Chiefs' left tackle is injured. That could be a problem. Patrick Mahomes was running for his life all day. That could very well be the case, and I think that's the Rams' easiest route to victory. However, what not a lot of people are talking about, beyond Jalen Ramsey, the DBs for the Rams are average at best. Yep. And you have... Three weapons with Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd. Joe Mixon, even in the passing game with the underneath stuff, is a huge threat. And getting Uzoma back, which he declares he will. Says he'll play. You know, so you have the inside game, you have the deep game, you have the drag routes, whatever. I'm tempted to go with the Bengals as well. So we can agree on that one. All right, Mike. Busy days, 14 hours of work. What do you have to say to the listeners before you go back into the uh, eternal work cycle that you live in? Rate, review, subscribe, baby. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yep. Andrew, Alex, Mike McDaniel, Ricky LeBlue will be back soon. Again, you can follow Mike at Mike McDaniel SI. You can follow me at Andrew Alex, A-L-I-X, radio. And you can follow Ricky at 
wait for it, Ricky LeBlue. We will talk to you guys probably on Tuesday or Wednesday following text matchup with UVA. Have a wonderful weekend, wonderful Valentine's Day, wonderful Super Bowl Sunday. It all comes at the same time. And we're looking forward to reviewing it with you next. Thank you for listening to the Hoagie Hangover Podcast. Go Hokies.